welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Boyce and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And um, as I do all the time, David, I thank my listeners because without this listening audience, which has followed these podcasts for years and years, faithful listeners which uh, send notes in and inquire and let me know whether they like these podcasts or not, I appreciate each and every one of you. And today, uh, joining me, and David, where are you joining me from? I am from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, so lovely Minneapolis, Minnesota. And the weather there today is good? It's good. It's, uh, we have rain right now, which soon will become snow this weekend, I'm told. So we're, uh, we're grateful for the rain currently. There you go. Well, for all of those, uh, I'm joining from San Diego, sunny San Diego, and he's from Minneapolis. And this is a book called The Science of Selling, Proven Strategies to Make Your Pitch, Influence Decisions, and Close the Deal. Uh, David is the CEO and Chief Sales Trainer for Hofeld Group. Um, and David, I have to say, you did a lot of research for this book, and it's a great book. But I'm going to let my listeners know just a tad bit about you. As I said, he is the Chief Sales Trainer of Hofeld Group. His pioneering revolutional sales approach is based on neuroscience, social psychology, behavioral economics that radically increase sales. In fact, if you're looking for someone who bases sales strategies on scientific evidence, uh, David literally wrote the book on it. Um, as we said, we're going to be speaking about the science of selling. Um, he's a sought-after thought leader and speaker in this area. He works with small and medium business to Fortune 500 companies showing them how to align their sales behaviors and how the brain uh, naturally forms buying decisions. Uh, David has been featured in Fortune, U.S. News and World Report, The Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, Investors Business Daily, CBS Radio, Fox News Radio, and more. Uh, as I said, he's a popular trainer. He's part of National Speakers Association, the American Society of Training Directors, and the Society of Personality and Social Psychology. So, David, you've done, you know, you're the de facto guy when it comes to actually doing science here. You state that the marketplace has changed, but the methods for selling have not, and that this is the biggest reason for the high degree of failure among salespeople or they're not meeting their quotas and goals. <coughs> what techniques are salespeople using today that are still out of date? and creating this high degree of underperformance and failure in your estimation. Mm, thank you so much, Greg. Well, it's great to be here with you. And that's a very important question because the answer is quite alarming. One of the things that struck me early on in my research, because I had come from years and years of sales. I've been a salesperson, sales manager, director of sales, VP of sales. And as I began to get more and more into this science, I became alarmed by the fact that many of the most common sales strategies conflict with the science that discloses how our brains are wired to make buying decisions. For example, the way we think about closing the sale as a single big commitment at the end of the sale, and in many sales processes, this is the only commitment they ask for, at least the only major one. What the research conclusively shows is that our brains, for us to make a positive buying decision, a big decision, we must first make certain strategic, small commitments throughout the sale. If we don't make those, 
we will not be able to make a positive buying decision at the end of the sale. And unfortunately, because most salespeople aren't aware of just this example right here, they don't guide their potential customers in making those strategic commitments. So some of them, of course, make them on their own. But without, if we can align our processes of selling with how our brains are wired to buy, what I have seen over years and years of helping people do this is instantly they become much more effective. Interesting. So, you know, you mentioned in the book, and it's way later in the book, these final commitments to buying decision that occurs at the end of the sale that's intertwined and even dependent on a series of essential commitments you call the six why, uh, six whys. What are the six whys that influence the final buying decisions of someone who's buying from a salesperson? Yes, this is actually based on six years of research that I did leveraging this science and trying to understand. There's pretty conclusive research that these the commitments, small commitments lead to larger ones and big decisions are made up of small, small commitments. So we said, what are those? So six years of research, what we found real quickly is there's six commitments that must be made. If one of these is not made, the sale never happens. Here's what they are. We call them the six whys. There are six questions that each begin with the word why. The first one is why change? Why should someone do anything? Why should they uh, consider your product or service? Why should they buy anything? Second, why now? Why should they do it now? Why can't they wait? Why your industry solution? Right? Why should they not try to invent their own solution for the issues they have. Why should they even look to your industry? This one I've called is the silent sales assassin because often in sales we don't think of our competitors as those outside of our industry, but it'll cost us sales. Fourth why is why you and your company, if they don't commit to that, they will never buy. Fifth, why your product or service? Why should they choose this product or this service? And then last but not least, why spend the money? And what that means is oftentimes the sales professionals, let's say, for example, I'm selling a CRM system and I get my client to say we want it, but we also need to update our machinery in our factory. We only have enough funds to do one this year. So now I'm going against why should they spend the money on my software platform versus updating their machinery? How do I answer that? The good news is, Greg, that for each of these vital commitments, science tells us exactly how to get them, how to ask for them, and what to do when people won't commit. Yeah, that's, you know, it's awesome advice because, you know, I've been in selling and marketing for years myself, and I understand um, the processes. I, I go back to the days of actually telling, selling uh, in, in training in a, in a Dale Carnegie sales course. Mm. And, you know, many of these things you found are really bleeding edge. And, you know, you spent 10 years studying various sales training courses, and you found that almost all of them, if not all of them, failed to provide successful results for the attendees. Now, you concluded through your studies that influence, influence, and I'm going to repeat that for my listeners, is the foundation of selling. How can salespeople become better influencers in your estimation? 
That's such an important question as well because you're exactly right. Influence is the foundation of selling. And how I got that early on when I was trying to think of what behaviors will help people sell more. And so we deconstructed all the productive sales behaviors salespeople engage in. And if you deconstruct them, break them down, what's the foundation? We're trying to positively influence someone. What is influence? It's the idea that we want to guide people in taking our ideas seriously and being willing to act on them. That's what we do as sales professionals. We're professional influencers. The good news is influence is now a science. There has been decades of scientific research that reveals how our brains are wired to be influenced. And Greg, I believe there's never been a more exciting time to be in sales because with this explosion of scientific research, when we as sales professionals leverage that in our favor, and in the book, we show you how to do this in very practical ways. This is not an academic textbook at all. It shows you real world, what do you do? What do you say? How do you do it? And once you learn just a few of these strategies, you instantly become more effective because what the research shows is the closer your way of selling is aligned to how the brain is wired to be influenced and create a buying decision, the more successful you will be. Well, so this brings me to something here, David. You know, uh, having been a person who has sold and marketed a lot and who has actually met with thousands of customers. I think a lot of our salespeople listening and people that are in marketing are going to ask this question. Okay, this is the science of selling. This is how we're doing it. But what advice do you have for the noise that consumers are receiving from the outside world about enticing them to come to them, you know, ATT versus Sprint versus, uh, you know, Verizon? And, and how they're really doing that marketing to affect them to get them in the door, right? And I think many salespeople out there today, they're as much bothered by this amount of noise in the marketplace yeah. to get their name and their self in front of customers. What advice do you have to cut through all of that crap? That's a great question. So how, how do we make better decisions, I think, is what you're asking as consumers. And that's... That's a very, very important question. There's a number of things. By understanding the process that we, we go through to make decisions, it can help us not be seduced by someone that's just um, a good talker or leveraging something that's not in our best interest. It allows us to kind of cut through and see. So the more you know about this science and these strategies, it helps you both ethically present your ideas in compelling ways that's aligned with how the brain is wired to be influenced, but it also will protect you as well. It allows you to understand what what is out there in the marketplace and kind of sift through the noise somewhat because you're exactly right. We do live in an extremely noisy marketplace and all indicators seem to point to the fact that that noise isn't going to go anywhere. Most likely it will continue or even increase. And so oftentimes we need to protect ourselves. And I think one of the benefits of this science as well is as a lot of times the things that frustrate us as consumers are when this science is violated. It, it confuses us. It doesn't, we don't make confident decisions. We struggle to come up with decisions. And so oftentimes marketers and salespeople, we need to really focus on how our brains are wired to be influenced so we can engage people in productive ways. And this saves a lot of time. But one of the things that really impressed me early in my research is 
People like being sold and marketed to in this manner because it's aligned with how their brains are wired to be influenced and it guides them in making confident decisions that they feel good about and that are in their best interest. Mm, Great advice. Now, you know, there's always been this statement, David, you know, you're born a natural salesperson. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is that Salespeople are developed. They're not born. We know this. You and I know this. And you state that to be a successful salesperson today, you must sell beyond your natural ability. What are some of the things that you're recommending to the salespeople that are listening to this today to help them sell beyond their natural abilities, even if they were born with this great ability to read people and be psychologically connected and understand emotions and all the things that go into selling. What do you, what do you, what are a few of the things that you would tell current salespeople? That's a, that's a uh, very insightful question because it, this matters a great deal. There is no doubt that some of our listeners, I'm sure, have heightened levels of natural ability. They started a little bit ahead or they've modeled people that they saw perhaps as a child that exhibited behaviors that are associated with sales success. And that gives you an advantage. But what the research shows is it's not enough. Do not be seduced by your natural ability because someone who doesn't have as much as you, who does a couple things, will surpass you. So here's the foundation of it. This is one of the things that I recommend all salespeople. It's one of the starting places we talk in the book, and it's something we even recommend managers look for when hiring salespeople, and that's called a growth mindset. Salespeople with a growth mindset are far more likely to become highly successful than those who don't have one. What is a growth mindset? It's the belief that your sales ability is a skill that can be developed with hard work and good feedback. So your sales skills are like a muscle that you continually have to work out, just like when you go to the gym and work out. Selling is the same thing. It's a skill. When you get the right knowledge and the right skills, you become more effective. And people without a growth mindset They stop. They never get beyond their natural ability. They work at it, and then they stop. Those with a growth mindset keep doing, keep searching, keep reading books, blogs, attending courses, and they are the ones who become elite performers, not just in sales, but there's now decades of research that shows anyone to get into a heightened level of performance where you're one of the best of the best. It just doesn't happen. None of us are born with that much ability. We have to work and work extremely hard. So a growth mindset, and the one last thing I'll say about that real quickly, Greg, is if you're not sure if you have a growth mindset, In my book, we actually have a quiz that will help you uh, figure that out. But the good news is, whether you have one or not, if you say, David, that's not me, what do I do? The good news is, it's your belief. It's your mindset. You can change it. So you can change it at any time. We're not born with our beliefs. We acquire them, especially this one. And so we can choose to say, you know what? I'm going to believe, because all the evidence points to this, that my skills are like a muscle that I must develop, and I'm going to start doing it today. And if you do that, you are on your way to making a big impact and improving your sales performance. 
Yeah, I love it because people, you know, obviously my show is dedicated to people that are into personal growth, mastery, uh, wellness, spirituality, right? That's the whole genre of this show. And truly, the people that are listening to this, I'm hoping most of them are continual learners. Um, you know, we always say, are you on the learning line or are you on the goal line? And the reality is, it isn't about the goal. It's about how much you're learning along the way. So I hope that you know, this show and all the other shows that were predecessor to this are helping you learn. Now, David, you've identified four practical heuristics that can be used by salespeople that help improve the perception of the customer into a favorable way. What are they and how can they work for a salesperson? Absolutely. Yeah, we have four in uh, one of the chapter two, I believe it is, of the book. And then we go into many of them. The good news is, these, what are heuristics, first of all? They are mental shortcuts we all make. In fact, our brains instinctively make them. And these are what researchers say are the rules of influence. For example, when you meet someone, you're able to make a rapid judgment about that person in a matter of seconds and form a first impression of them. And usually you're right. You'll say, my first impressions are usually pretty good. How does your brain do that? How does your brain in a matter of seconds form a pretty accurate impression of another complex human being? The reason is because of heuristics. These are little mental shortcuts we make that allow us to make rapid judgments. Well, the good news is we know what these are. And what the research shows is when you sell, when you align how you sell with them, you're instantly shaping perception in your favor. If you sell against them, you always lose. So let me give you one real quickly, and we can talk about as many as you want, but one that I think is um, might be interesting, it's very simple, is what's called single option aversion. Single option aversion. Some fascinating research uncovered this one a number of years ago, and it's been verified in many studies. What it is, it shows that when only one product or service is presented in a choice set, so you're selling to a customer and you give them one option, you say, here's what I recommend for you. The likelihood of them choosing is very low. One study found that it was around 10% when customers were only presented with one option. However, when a second option was introduced, buying behavior skyrocketed by over 600%. Here's why. When you're only given one option, your brain is a comparison machine. So, for example, if you're shown a price of a product or service, how do you know if it's good or bad? You don't. You have to compare it to something else, a similar product or what you paid last time or something like that. So your brain is instinctively comparing. We want to make it easy for the brain to make choices. So when you present two options to people, they instinctively compare the two. You don't have to tell them to. They'll automatically do it. And then their brain will select the best one. And that win makes it far more likely they'll buy because it lowers the perception of risk. They assign far less risk to buying when there's two options as opposed to one. So that's just one simple heuristic that you can utilize. There are many others. And when you learn these, they're relatively simple to learn and execute, but they can make a profound difference in this case, in this study, Buying behavior went up by 600% just by introducing another option. I know in, in most salespeople, hopefully today, are providing options, you know, because options give people the opportunity to make a different decision. It's not like you're trying to 
push one particular thing. Now, you you research, after this 10 years of research you did, your research revealed that buyers go through certain predictable and repeatable mental steps when arriving at their buying decisions. Um, what are those steps, and why should salespeople be so aware of these patterns that people are going through before making those buying decisions? Absolutely. So what they're comprised of is really these heuristics and the six whys. So the heuristics shape perception. They allow our brains, it's how our brains go one way or another. So heavily, like the one product versus two, right? Mm -hmm. Our brains, it, it shapes our perception so heavily, it pushes us in one direction versus another. So that's part of it. And also those six whys. So those core commitments to each of those six questions. So what I view the sale as is simply at its basic root, it's a, it's a series of incremental commitments. That's what I care about. Mm -hmm. So the goal of every sales process is incremental. Exactly. It should be to guide potential customers in making commitments to the six whys and using heuristics to shape perception to get those commitments. Mm. That is what a sales process should be focused on. That's what the science says, and that's decades of decades of research that point to that conclusion. And once you start aligning how you sell with that, you're really selling how the brain is wired to buy. You're instantly more effective. And I'll tell you, Greg, sales results always go up. Why? Because you're literally helping people make buying decisions. So let me ask you this. From an economic standpoint, let's say you've got a buying decision that's $100 versus $2,000. Mm. What, what has the science said about options with relation to smaller buying decisions? I know when you go to the grocery store, look, there's 18 different jams on the shelf, right? Mm. So you've got to walk down the aisle and choose which jam you want. They're all different prices. But is there a science about influence based upon smaller purchases versus larger purchases? Absolutely. Yeah, the, the buying process doesn't change, meaning the steps our brains go through, those six commitments are still there. But what does change is the amount of time we think and contemplate each. So okay. for a small decision like jam, many of these commitments go unconsciously. And so heuristics win the day. We, we make the commitments, but we do so. It's a small purchase, low risk for very complex sales. So we have clients that sell, you know, multi-million dollar sales and the sales cycle might be six months. And so their potential customers are agonizing over every commitment. And it's a long drawn out sales cycle, high risk. If you make a wrong decision, people lose their jobs. Right. Uh, and so it's, it's very high risk. But the process doesn't change. It does not change at all. What happens inside our head doesn't change when we make decisions. It's just less risk, smaller decisions. We're not going to contemplate all this because it's low risk. For high risk decisions, though, sometimes all these commitments, your buyers might be very aware of each of them. So the key is how we're selling. So we're not, we're customizing how we apply this science depending on the size of the sale for sure. But the process between someone's ears, what happens? does not change. And that's the exciting thing is you can apply this in any sales environment. You can even apply it with your friends and your children. You want to get your kids to clean their room more. There's some principles in the book that you can use there too. So it's, it's everyday life because all of us are trying to influence others constantly, right? Yeah. We want people to take what we say seriously and act on it. I know I do with my children. Yeah. So how do we do that? Well, the science tells us how. So it's applicable in every area of life. Beautiful. Well, thanks for the advice, I think, for all my listeners who are in sales. 
Uh, they've got to be getting a ton out of this interview. Now, you cite the many studies in your book that have been conducted about how emotions influence buying decisions, and I'm certainly aware of this, and I'm sure most of the salespeople are. And how do you help salespeople identify the emotions that buyers are experiencing and read them better for a more successful outcome? That's such such an important part of selling that's often overlooked. We all talk about emotions, uh, that they matter, but what do you do about it? That's the question. How do they matter? So real quickly, emotions matter, and we know exactly how they matter now because of neuroscience. We have studied people that don't have access to their emotions, meaning they've had brain injuries, and they mm-hmm. cannot access them. And what we find is they can't make decisions. Or they, if they do make a decision, they make horrible ones. Here's why. There's, uh, all the evidence points to in neuroscience, and all, every neuroscientist agrees, that emotions are how we assign value, how we make preferences. For example, one neuroscientist said it best. He said, it's the logical part of your brain, your neocortex, that allows you to look at a person walking towards you and say, she's my cousin. But it's your emotions that allow you to say, and I can't stand her, right? That judgment we make about her, that's an emotional response. And so it matters a great deal. So how do we engage people on emotions? We have a whole chapter on this because it's so important. What the research finds is when people are experiencing negative emotions, they're in a bad mood, researchers call it a negative emotional state, it's very hard for them to make a positive buying decision. And this, I know from my past experience prior to learning it, it cost me sales, where I would lose sales, and I didn't know why. I couldn't find an objection. People just said, would tell me they didn't feel right about it. Well, what does that mean? They're stuck in a negative emotional state. So how do you get people out of it? It's easy to, once you know what you're looking for, it's easy to find it. And in the book, we talk about some ways to look for it. But what do you do when you get someone stuck in a negative emotional state? Many things you can do. I'll give you three real quickly, rapid fire. Number one, and there's many more listed in the book. Number one, change their body posture. So get them to lean forward. Often when we're in a bad mood, for example, we, we sit differently. We move slower, perhaps. We want to break people out of emotional state, get them to move their body. Second, use productive voice inflections. Voice inflections have been proven in scientific studies. When you use them effectively, it can draw people into experiencing more positive emotions. Very simple to do. Third, ask opinion questions. Ask questions that guide people in disclosing their opinions. Research out of Harvard University that hooked people up to fMRI machines, which studies studies their brain activity, found that when people were asked opinion questions, questions that they voiced their opinions, the areas in the brain associated with pleasure lit up. So people enjoy answering these kind of questions. People enjoy sharing their opinions. And this naturally puts people in a more positive emotional state. So that's just three quick things our listeners can do. There are many more in the book. Okay. And and that is such valuable advice that you've given those three little uh uh, focused activities that salespeople could get involved in, David. That's, that is really, really good uh, advice for everybody out there. Now, you emphasize the importance of asking the right questions. And every salesperson out there is going to say, hey, David, yeah, I know. It's, it's about the right questions. What are the three levels of questions? And can you give an example of the types of questions salespeople should be asking versus what they're asking. Absolutely. 
This is a big issue right here because what we found when we started studying questions and saying, well, what kind of questions should salespeople ask? We looked at the usual suspects, the, the sales training, and usually it's types of questions, which are fine for introductory questions, horrible for follow-up questions. It's very hard, if not impossible, to think of what type of question you're going to ask now and listen to your potential customer. you got to pick and choose. So what we ask is... Early on in our research, we ask, how does the brain disclose information? Instead of trying to innovate by looking in the sales mirror and saying, how are salespeople asking questions? We focus on the buyer and we say, how is the brain wired to be in, or how does the brain disclose information naturally? Well, there's a lot of research that shows that the brain discloses information in layers. And that makes sense. All of us, when we meet someone, we share information. And as we get to know them more, we share deeper levels of information. So we created a layered questioning model. Here's what it is. There's three layers. Layer number one, when we ask questions about a thought, a fact, a behavior, a situation, very simple. Layer number two, this is where great salespeople live. And this is a big differentiator with our model. This is where you can ask great follow-up questions. Level two is assessment or explanation. So if I'm asking a level one question, an introductory question, and I get a response, then I focus either I ask them to assess or explain. Assess or explain. Easy, intuitive, it'll take you about an 45 minutes to an hour to become a master at it because it's how your brain is already wired. It's not hard to learn. Third level is the most consequential one, and that is where you ask questions specifically designed for fear of loss or desire for gain. Fear of loss or desire for gain. This level of questions, this model, the, the biggest differentiator is it allows you to easily create follow-up questions that are high gain because it's aligned with how the brain is already wired to disclose information. It's easy to learn. It's easy to execute. And it gets you the answers, those really in-depth answers that really reveal someone's perspective and beliefs that we as salespeople desperately need. How do you get them? You ask layered questions, not types, layered questions. And we walk you through in the book exactly how to do this, but that's the model. You know, and layered questions, I would say, David, follow in line with that incremental approach as well. So the reality is, you know, when you look at the science of this, and you put the pieces of the puzzle together, which you're doing for the people out there that are listening. It's very important when you read through David's book to look at how carefully he's actually constructed the patchwork quilt. Um, because this is a ball about understanding emotions, being able to ask the right questions of the right type, the right type of questions, because these are the things that are triggers, and these triggers are really important. Now, we're going to wrap our interview up here with a really important question, David, based on what I could tell from the book. You state that social exchange theory provides a scientific framework that you can use to judge your sales behaviors to ensure that you're providing potential customers with enough value, and I want to repeat that, value, because the value proposition is so important, to propel the relationship forward. What is social exchange theory, and why is it so important to salespeople uh, to understand and influence their current customers or their potential prospects? 
Yeah, that's an important point as well. Social exchange theory was first put forth in 1959. So a lot of these ideas are not new. Uh, they've been verified over and over and over again in some of them thousands of academic studies. They've just been hidden from salespeople until now. So what is social exchange theory? It, it analyzes basically the social economics of human interactions. And so one of the firms basically real quickly is all of us want to maximize value in our relationships and minimize costs. So when a, a relationship costs us more, if we give more than we get, we often leave. So, for example, why do people not return sales calls from salespeople, right? You have a, a, a meeting with a buyer and then they won't return your call. Well, why is that? Well, they assign more value to not talking to you than to talking to you, right? They think, well, I'm giving up my time. It's just not worth it, right? Social exchange theory tells us that, and it also gives us some really powerful insights on how do we create value. Here's one of the insights from this. Value is always created by buyers. And this is an important distinction because oftentimes as sales professionals, we fall into the trap of really asserting value for our buyers. We say, here's what, here's what I would think is important if I were them. And so we talk about that. No, no, no. What we want to always understand is value is created by the buyers. So value creation is not something you do as a sales professional. It's something that's done with your buyers. Your buyers must be involved in that. And so it's really focusing on them. And in the book, we give you some strategies built on this framework that allow you to really clearly identify value. How do we identify it? How do we differentiate ourselves from competitors? And then how do we convey that? We have strategies for both that are rock solid, uh, probably things you haven't heard before because they're all grounded in science. And most importantly, it works in the real world. All this science, I always say, it's not a faith-based initiative. Nothing wrong with faith, but in some areas, we don't need it. And this is one, because we have this research now that we can leverage, and it makes us predictably effective, and it increases our effectiveness and our ability to really serve our potential customers. Well, you know, David, this book is truly uh, not just a fascinating book, but a very practical book. You know, as I was going through reviewing this, I could see how much this book, if I had had it uh, 15, 20 years ago when I went into sales, would have made a huge difference. So for all the people who are out there in sales, um, I would say definitely get a copy of this. We'll put a link to this book uh, at in our blog for Amazon. And I want to read a quote from somebody that everybody knows, uh, and it's Daniel Pink. Um, and he said it's, he's the author of the book, To Sell is Human. A terrific book, uh, David Hofeld has built his selling methods on a solid foundation of science, let his research-based insights into why people buy, help you increase sales, and retain loyal customers. Uh, that's a great accolade for you, David. And for all of my listeners, uh, you're able to get to David's website at the Hofeld Group, and that's H-O-F-F-E-L-D Group. Com. There you will find more about David, the sales training, uh, requesting a consultation with David, um, his blog, the resource center, and contacts and so on. Uh, David, is there anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners prior to us uh, uh, truncating our podcast here? Yes, I'll share what I say in almost all of my videos on YouTube at the end, and that is this. I believe that selling is just too important to be based on anything other than proven science. 
and uh, we will put a link to why is science based sell or what is science based selling, which is a YouTube video that David has. David, again, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth, spending a few minutes with our listeners today about the science of selling, proven strategies to make your pitch, influence decisions, and close the deal. Thanks, David. Thank you, Greg. It's been a pleasure. 